Have you ever had the experience where you're in a shear and the person giving the shear is just inspiring you, inspiring everyone in the shear. And it's unbelievable. He's uplifting and motivating everyone. And there's some electricity in the air. There's some charge in the air. And everyone is inspired. Everyone is uplifted. And then either in the middle of the shear or right after the shear, someone lets out a sarcastic comment or some lights on or something like that. And everything that was built up, all the inspiration, everything, all the charge, the electricity, it just disappears. Everything that was there is broken down. Now, if you've ever experienced this, if you've ever seen someone do this, have you ever wondered why do people do that? Why? Why? And take it a step further, why does that one comment break down everything that was built up beforehand? Why does it break up all of that inspiration? What happens? I'll tell you a personal story. I was one time having a really serious conversation with someone about a very, very serious topic. And I noticed that whenever we started talking about this serious topic, they couldn't help but to let out some sort of joke or some sort of sarcastic comment. And I asked them, why do you keep on doing that? And they said, I can't handle the seriousness of the situation. So why is it that people can't handle that seriousness? Why is it that people feel the need to let out that sarcastic comment to break down the seriousness of the situation? So with that introduction, let's ask a couple very important questions when it comes to mockery, when it comes to sarcasm, like Sanus. The first question is, what is the nature of mockery? What is the deeper concept of mockery? And the second question is, why is mockery so terrible? The Gemara in Sanhedrin, Daf Kuf Gimel Amid Aleph, in Perak Achelik, says that there are four groups of people that don't receive the Shekhinah. And included in those four groups of people are liars, people who speak Lashon Hara all the time, flatterers, and last but not least, mockers. And the question is, why is it so bad to be a mocker? What, what is so bad about mockery? The second question is, what is Shekhinah? What does it mean that these four groups of people don't receive the Shekhinah? And the last question is, why specifically someone who's a mocker, why doesn't he receive the Shekhinah? What's the media connected media? What's the connection between someone who's a mocker and someone who doesn't receive the Shekhinah? The third question is, what does mockery have to do with kavod and malchus? Remember, in the last year, we discussed the concept of kavod. Well, the Maharal, on that specific Gemara, in Sanhedrin, Daf Kuf, Gimel, and Aleph, says that mockery is a destruction and a breakdown of kavod and malchus. So, based on the fact that we now know what kavod and malchus is, how is mockery a breakdown of that concept? What does that actually mean? The next question is based on the Gemara in Megillah, that Kuf Hei Amid Beis. It says that even though mockery is horrible, and you should never express mockery, nevertheless, there is one situation where you should express mockery, where you should be a mocker. What are you allowed to mock? You're allowed to mock Avodah now the question is, we need to first understand what is the nature of Avodah Zarah. We really need to give a whole shir on this, but we'll at least introduce the concept. And why specifically are you allowed to express mockery when it comes to Avodah Zarah? Why are you allowed to mock Avodah Zarah? If mockery is a terrible need, though, why should you be allowed to do it in this specific situation? And the last question is based off a very interesting episode in the Torah. 
In the beginning of Parshas Todos, when we're introduced to the cosmic battle between Yaakov and Esav, a battle which we've discussed in depth a couple of years ago, the Torah introduces that Parsha with something very peculiar. It says that Avraham was the father of Yitzchak. Now the question, which should be obvious, is why do you need to tell us this? Isn't it obvious that Avram is the father of Yitzchak? Just look at the previous partios and it should be clear. So why does the Torah go out of its way to tell us that Avram is the father of Yitzchak right before introducing us to this cosmic battle between Yaakov and Esau? Now Rashi quotes the famous Medrash that the reason why the Torah goes out of its way to tell us that Avraham was the father of Yitzchak was for the following reason. Rashi quotes the Midrash that after Yitzchak was born, there were mockers who claimed that Yitzchak was the son of Avimelech. Why? Because for Avram's entire life, he wasn't able to have a child with Sarah. And finally, once Sarah was with Avimelech, all of a sudden Yitzchak was born. So people claimed that it must be that Yitzchak is the son of Avimelech and Sarah. So therefore, Hashem made it that Yitzchak looked exactly like Avram. Why? So people would know that Yitzchak was the son of Avram. And that's why in the beginning of Toldos, the Torah goes out of its way to say that Yitzchak was the son of Avram. Now there are a couple of very obvious questions. Number one, why specifically right before Yaakov and Esau were born? Why specifically before introducing this cosmic battle between Yaakov and Esau are we told that Yitzchak was the son of Avram, that Yitzchak looked like Avram, that he really was the son of Avram? Why now? But to take the question a step further, why was that a case of mockery? It should have been called the case of the Kofrim, the deniers. They denied the fact that Yitzchak was the son of Avram. Why is that a case of mockery? And the last question, which is the most obvious, is that it wasn't even a good claim. The claim is that Avraham wasn't capable of having children. But Sarah, Sarah, of course she could have children. Why? Because when Sarah was with Avimelech, therefore she was able to have a child. Until then, she was with Avraham, so she couldn't have a child. That doesn't make any sense. We know that Avraham already had a child with Hagar. So clearly Avram was able to have a child. The problem must have been with Sarah. So the very question, the very mockery itself doesn't make any sense. The whole point is that the problem was with Avram, Sarah was able to have a child. But clearly it's the opposite. Avram was able to have a child, Sarah wasn't. So this entire episode is very, very strange. So once again, just to go over the questions, what is mockery? Why is it so terrible? Why don't you get the Shekhinah? What does the Shekhinah mean? Number three, why is Mockery, a breakdown of Kavod and Malchus. Number four, why are you allowed to mock Avodah And the last question is based off this very strange episode in Parshish Todos. Why specifically are we told that Yitzchak was the son of Avram right before Yaakov was born? Number two, this doesn't seem to be a case of mockery. It should have been called the Kofrim, the deniers, because they denied the fact that Yitzchak was the son of Avram. Why are they called the mockers? Number three, this wasn't a good claim. It's obvious the problem was with Sarah and now with Avram. Avram was able to have a child with Hagar. So claiming that Avram wasn't able to have a child, and only once Sarah was with Avimelech, then she was able to have a child, just goes against the Metzias, it goes against the facts. So what exactly is going on? So let's start by trying to understand mockery. What is mockery? What's the purpose of mockery? What's the concept of mockery? So as we explained in our introduction, 
you can have someone giving an inspirational speech, an inspirational share. You can have everyone in the entire audience electrified, inspired, uplifted, motivated. And one comment of mockery, of leitzanus, of sarcasm can break everything down. Because what mockery does is it makes it impossible for something deep, something real to impact your life. It makes it impossible for something deep to penetrate your inner life. What it is, is putting up guards, putting up walls. It's a defense mechanism which creates the shield that prevents anything real, anything important, anything deep, anything with purpose, anything with inspiration, with drive from penetrating your inner world. And what it does is, it breaks down that real and important thing. It prevents the idea from taking form, from affecting you, from motivating you or inspiring you. And the reason is as follows. Why do people do it? Why are people mockers? Why are people sarcastic? Why are people breaking down these important and deep ideas? The reason is as follows. Let's say I'm giving you a very inspiring sheer on the purpose of life. And that the purpose of your life is to grow, to become, and to develop, to devote yourself to something greater than yourself. To devote your life to something higher, to something with greater purpose. And you're in the audience, you're listening to this idea, to this year, and your first reaction is, oh my gosh, this is unbelievable. This will change my life forever. This is inspirational. This is so true. This is the MS. But what's the next stage of this process? That defense mechanism. Oh my gosh, what is this going to require of me? What am I going to have to give up? What am I going to have to do? What is my life going to be like if I accept this truth? What will I have to change? Will I be able to be the same person? Will I really be happy? Is this what I really want in life? And all of a sudden, this truth, the MS, becomes very unattractive. So what is sarcasm? What is mockery? What is leitzonus? It's making light and kind of distancing that MS from impacting you. So when you're sarcastic, when something is really important, when something is really deep, when the MS is in front of you, you're basically creating a wall between you and that idea. So that you don't have to confront the idea. You don't have to live with that truth. What you do is you distance it from yourself. You make light of it. You mock it. You make fun of it. You're sarcastic. And all of a sudden, what was inspiring becomes something that's irrelevant to you, something that's some completely distant from you. You've succeeded in enabling yourself from living without that truth. Now, the same thing is true when it comes to mocking Hashem or mocking spiritual things. If you don't want to let Hashem into your life, if you don't want to let spirituality into your life, you're going to mock it. Because you can't live with the truth. Rather, you have to deny the truth. You have to make fun of the truth so you don't have to confront it and say, wow, you know, my life is a lie. So instead of living the truth, instead of living a life of purpose and responsibility, it's much easier to just mock it and make fun of it so that instead of being depressed because, oh my gosh, I'm not living the truth, you mock it. You put the shield, this ego, which allows you to live that lie without confronting the fact that you're living a lie. Because what you're doing is not saying, you know, there's the MS and I'm just, I'm just not going to live the MS. Instead, you make fun of it. You put it down and you raise yourself above it. And what that does is it allows you to rationalize and make you think that, no, 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 the MS just doesn't exist right now. Even though deep down, 
you know that's not true. You know you're living a lie. But what mockery does is it allows you to create this facade, this illusion, this ego, which you put in between the truth and yourself. Now we can understand why mockery is a breakdown in kavod. Remember, last year we discussed the depth of kavod. How your kavod represents how you express yourself outwards. How no one can know you yourself, no one can see your thoughts, no one can know who you really are. All they'll ever know about you is how you express yourself outwards. So they'll know you based on how you act, based on the words you say, based on your facial expressions, based on your body language, based on every way that you express yourself outwards. So proper kavod is where the external loyally and perfectly reflects the internal. Where my body perfectly reflects me. Where you can know me based on how I express myself through that physical medium. And we explain that kavod Hashem, that Hashem's kavod is how He expresses Himself into the world. How you can never know Hashem Himself. He's completely beyond any hasaga, any understanding. But you can know Hashem based on how He expresses Himself to you through the world. The Torah, all chachma, morality, the entire physical world is an expression of Hashem. It's Hashem's kavod. And by knowing that, by becoming connected to that, by understanding that, you come to understand Hashem. Remember we discussed in Shir number 9 that the entire physical world is an expression of the spiritual world. And that's what it means when we say that Hashem is a melech. When we say Hashem is our melech, we're acknowledging and accepting the fact that Hashem is connected to this world. That everything that happens in this world is from Hashem. And that's why when we say, Shema Yishol Hashem Hashem Echad, the Rabbim explains that we're accepting Hashem as our Melech. Because when we say Hashem is one, that means the entire physical world is part of Hashem. That means that everything in this world is because Hashem wants it. Hashem is running all the events in the world. And that is why when you accept Hashem as the Melech, that everything in this world is connected to Hashem, then you realize that everything in the world is a gilui of Hashem's kavod, is revelation of Hashem. And by understanding the world, and the spiritual world as well, you can understand Hashem. That's a very, very deep episode which we tried to explain. So a breakdown in kavod is when you prevent Hashem from being megala and expressed in the world. When you say that the world is disconnected from Hashem. When you say that everything that happens in the world and the entire physical world and all chachma, that has nothing to do with Hashem. And you disconnect, you break down the kavod of Hashem. That's why the Maharal explains on Sanhedrin, Kuf, Gimla, and Aleph, that the mocker breaks down kavod. Why? Because he prevents Hashem from being manifest into the physical world. He says that Hashem has nothing to do with the world. He creates that wall, that defense mechanism, that ego, that puts Hashem out of the picture. And he prevents Hashem from impacting his life, from becoming part of his life. He refuses to acknowledge and accept Hashem. And thus, he breaks down the covenant of Hashem. Why does the Gemara in Sanhedrin, Kuf, Gimel, and Aleph say that the Makar doesn't receive the Shechina? We don't have time to really go into this idea because we really need a whole shear for this. But the Shekhinah represents the aspect of Hashem that is manifest in the world. It represents the kavod of Hashem, the malchus of Hashem, how He expresses and connects into the physical world. Remember, Hashem is completely transcendent, but also imminent. That He's completely beyond the world, but also manifest in the physical world. And how He manifests into the physical world is through the Shekhinah. Why doesn't the Makar receive the Shekhinah? What's the depth of that? It's Midah Kenegad Midah. 
the mocker denies Hashem's connection to the world. He denies the fact that the Shekhinah is present in the world. He denies the fact that Hashem is connected to the world. What's the response? What's the consequence? What's the midah connected midah? He doesn't receive it. He doesn't receive the Shekhinah. He becomes disconnected from Hashem. That's the beautiful idea of midah connected midah, is that you get exactly what you did. Nothing more, nothing less, exactly what you created. Now remember how we discussed in Shir number 11 that Esav and Amalek represent that ideology, that philosophy, that Hashem is disconnected from the physical world, that they separate the head from the body. They say Hashem has nothing to do with the physical world. Thus, the Maharal explains that Amalek battles against the covet of Hashem. Amalek battles against Hashem being expressed and connected in the physical world. And that's why the Gemara in Brachos, Daf Nun Ches, says that the Muhammad against Amalek is the Muhammad of Hashem's Malchus. That Amalek battles against Hashem's Malchus. They say that Hashem is disconnected from the physical world. That nothing that happens in this world has any meaning or purpose. That there's no spirituality in this world. Everything is kara, happenstance. That the entire world is random. That nothing that happens in your life is meaningful at all. That's why the Midah of Amalek is Leitzanus, is mockery. The Bali and Roshava discuss that Amalek is the Leitzan. Why? Because what is Leitzanus? It is that breakdown. It's the breakdown between purpose, truth, MS, spirituality, and you. And Amalek tries to create that breakdown. They try to prevent Hashem from connecting and manifesting in this world. They try to create that gap between Hashem and you between Hashem and the physical world. So what is a leitzan? The sarcasm, the mockery that prevents you from really becoming connected to that deep truth, that tries to prevent you from acting on that inspiration. That is Amalek. They try to disconnect meaning, purpose, wisdom, Torah from you, from this world. And that's why we discussed two shirim ago in shirim number 11, how Amalek also says Amal Kuf, the work of the monkey. The evolutionary theory is that we're just accidental mistakes. We're just evolved monkeys. We're just accidents. And with that theory, there is no meaning or purpose to the world. There's no spirituality. We're not connected to any higher world. Amal Kuf says that we're just a physical being. There's no neshama. There's no spirituality. But once you claim more monkeys, there's no discussion about Torah. That's irrelevant. We're just physical beings. So Amalkuf is an ideology of mockery. It's the biggest mockery. It's you look at a, a neshama within a body and you say, no, there's just a body. That's the biggest mockery possible. It's the biggest breakdown of kavod. Because what the body does and what the body says is supposed to be an expression of you, the neshama. But instead of seeing the physical as an expression of the spiritual, of consciousness, of the mind, instead they just separate anything higher. They say there's just the physical. And that, by definition, is the breakdown of kavod. The breakdown of something higher being expressed through a lower medium. The physical being an expression of the spiritual, the physical world being an expression of Hashem, the body being an expression of the neshama. Now let's try to understand why you are allowed to mock Avodah The Gemara in Megillah, that Chav Hei says that you are allowed to mock Avodah Nothing else. You're not allowed to mock anything, but you are allowed to mock Avodah Now the question is why? Why specifically Avodah 
And the deep answer is that Avodazar itself is the biggest breakdown of Hashem's Kavod. Why? We really need a whole share in Avodazar because it's a very deep topic. But to just quickly, quickly give you the main points, the biggest problem of Avodazar is not going back to the source. Without getting into all the complications, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Hashem, is the source of everything in the world. But Hashem also expresses Himself through many different forces. So there are many different, so to speak, emanations that come out from Hashem. So Avot and Zara will be worshipping these forces as independent powers. Instead of sourcing everything back to Hashem, they would just serve these forces themselves. So for example, just look at the Greek gods. You have the god of thunder, you have the god of the ocean, you have the god of Gehenna, you have the god of love, the god of wisdom. You have all these different forces, all these different gods. But where's the source of all of that? So Hashem is the source of everything. He expresses all of these different forces into the world. Avodah Zara is isolating these forces instead of tracing them back and sourcing them back to Hashem. And that's the biggest problem. Now why would you do that? Because when you go to these expressed forces, you just get the goods. I go to the God of love, I get love. I go to the God of wisdom, I get wisdom. If I go back to the source, there's responsibility. If I go back to Hashem, okay, I have to live the truth. I have to learn Torah, I have to do mitzvahs. There's a lot of responsibility. But if I don't go back to the source, I get all the goods, but no work, no effort, no responsibility. I get to live a half girl life. I'll give you a marshal. Let's say you want to buy a new car. So you go to the car dealership and you're ready to get a new car. But you don't want to pay the full price for a car. You want to get the car for a much cheaper price. So what you do is you go over to the attendee behind the counter and you slip him a $50 bill. And you say, here's the $50 bill. Give me a new car, please. Now what's the chutzpah of this? The chutzpah is that the attendee has no power and no right to give you the car. All he is, is he is simply there to enable you to buy the car from the person who actually owns it. But instead of going back to the source, instead of going to the person who owns the car and asking him if you can get a deal, you simply go to the person who can give you the goods and try to give him just enough so you can get exactly what you want. So what a Vodazara really is, is serving the self. It's getting what you want without having to do what you really need to do to get it. So instead of living a life of truth, you want to live a life of yourself and get exactly what you want, when you want it, how you want it. That's the real essence of a Vodazara. But the real tragedy, the real disgrace of Avodah is that you're not acknowledging the source. You're not acknowledging Hashem. You're not going back to the source. And what you do is, is that you see that Hashem is not connected to the world. You're saying, I'm ignoring Hashem. I'm ignoring the source. And that is the biggest breakdown in Kavod. But more importantly, it's the biggest mockery. Why? Because mockery breaks down the truth. It creates this defense mechanism, this wall that you build from disconnecting yourself from anything true, anything higher, anything that has real purpose. And Avodah is that same thing. It's disconnecting yourself from the truth. It's disconnecting yourself from Hashem, from the source, from MS. So why are you allowed to mock Avodah Mida Knegad Mida. Avodah in essence, is mockery. So therefore, what are we supposed to do? We mock mockery itself. Avodah is the mockery of truth, and therefore we mock it. Mida Knegad Mida.
And that's why in Sanhedrin, Daf Kuf Beis and Beis, when Rav Ashi was talking about Menasha, someone who is a tremendous Balavodazara, what does he start his shir by doing? He started off his shir by mocking Menasha. Because the Midah Kenegad Midah of Avodazara is that you are supposed to mock it. Because it, in essence, is mockery. Now, we don't have time to fully go into this idea right now, but let's at least start the discussion. Based on this idea, we can now understand why the Ramachal explains in Basil Susharim, when talking about Zahiros, why mockery leads to znus, to improper relationships, improper relationships between male and female. So why is this? Why is it that the Ramchal explains that mockery leads to znus, leads to immorality? So the simple and practical understanding is that mockery, late sonus, creates a light atmosphere. And when you create that type of atmosphere, that joking atmosphere, where you can fool around and do foolish things, then terrible things are going to happen. And one thing will lead to another, and you end up doing znus, you end up doing a riot, something very inappropriate. But there's a much more fundamental reason why mockery will lead to znus. And that is because znus and harayas are really the same exact principle as avodazara. What is the nature of avodazara? It's the disconnection between you and Hashem. It's disconnecting you from the higher source. Instead of going back to Hashem, the real source of everything, you go to these secondary sources. You go to these external forces. So avodazara is the breakdown of your relationship between you and Hashem. It's the inappropriate relationship between you and someone else. As opposed to being you and Hashem, you're connecting to another force. That's an inappropriate relationship. That's a betrayal of your marriage with Hashem. That's the same idea of znus. Znus is an inappropriate relationship. Instead of having an appropriate relationship, you and your wife, you have an inappropriate relationship with you and another woman. Arias is when you're actually married and you have a relationship with another woman. That's why on the Aserah Sadibros, Avodah and Gili Arias are opposite each other. It's a very deep principle. We'll hopefully give a share on this in the future. But the Aserah Sadibros are split into two luchos. You have five on the right and five on the left. And the deep idea is that the five on the right perfectly parallel the five on the left. That the first one on the right parallels the first one on the left. The second one on the right parallels the second one on the left. But without getting into all the details right now, Avodah Zara is the second one on the right, and Gili Arias is the second one on the left. Why? Because Gili Arias, which is Bain Adam La Adam, is Kanagan Avodah Zara, which is Bain Adam La Makam. And that Arias is this disconnect of that appropriate relationship. Both Avodah Zara and Znos and Arias are a breakdown of something real. And that's why, as Ramchal explains in Mesilis Shisharim, mockery leads to znus. Because just like Avodazar is a breakdown, znus is also a breakdown. And mockery represents that concept of breakdown. Now this entire topic of kavod, of expression of something real, and mockery breaking down that expression, really gets back to shir number 11, which is the machlokets between Yaakov and Esav. Yaakov represents kavod. Yaakov represents the loyal and perfect expression of the higher through the lower, where the body perfectly reflects the neshama, where the physical world is a loyal and perfect reflection and expression of Hashem. As we explain in Shia number 5, you always have this three-stage process in life. There's the initial spark of inspiration, the initial outflow, that infinite potential. That's the first stage, the root of the foundation. The second stage is limiting that uh, that infinite expression. 
giving boundaries and restrictions and limitations. And then you have the third stage, which is the perfect balance between the two. So we explain that that's chesed, din, and teferes. And we also explain that that's Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. That Avram represents the original outflow. Remember we discussed in Shir number 10 that Avram represents the original idea of using the physical and seeing the physical as an expression of the spiritual. That's the original outflow, the original idea, the thesis. Then you have the antithesis, the limiting of that thesis, the contradiction. That would be Yitzchak, which is limiting that. That would be Din, Gvura, repeating everything Avram did, giving it boundaries and limitations. Then you have Yaakov, which is Deferis, that perfect balance. Now, there is a misconception that Avram and Yitzchak were not good enough and Yaakov was perfect. And that was kind of like the better of the three. It's not true. They're different. Avram represents that first outflow. Yitzchak is the boundaries, the gvura, the limitation. Akedat Yitzchak, giving himself boundaries, tying himself up. Yaakov represents that perfect balance. But it's not different. It's just, it's really all chesed. It's really all the original outflow. The next stages are just perfecting that balance. So I'll give you an example. If you have too much rain, you have a flood. If you have too little rain, you have a famine. If you have the perfect amount of rain, everything's just right. But it's all rain. So Avram would be the original outflow of rain. But if it's too much, you can have a flood. So Yitzchak is limiting that unlimited outflow, that infinite outflow of rain. But if it's too little, you're going to have a famine. So Yaakov is finding that perfect balance of limitation. But it's not like Avram was too much, Yitzchak was too little, and Yaakov is just right. It's that you need all three. You need the original outflow, you need the boundaries to make it real, but then you need to perfect the way you give the boundaries. And Yaakov represents that perfect giloi. That's covered, is when the physical loyally reflects the spiritual. But it's that perfect balance. And Yaakov is that balance. Yaakov is Tiferes. That's why Yaakov is Kavod. And I think based on that idea, we can understand why Yaakov was rooted in the Kisei HaKavod. Why does the Midrash say that Yaakov was rooted in the Kisei HaKavod? Why not anyone else? The answer, I think, is as follows. The Kisei HaKavod represents how Hashem expresses Himself into the world. That's Kavod. Kisei HaKavod. Kisei represents a throne. When a king sits in his throne room, it's how he reveals himself to his audience, to the public. If he's in his private quarters, no one can see him. When you sit in the kisei, in the throne, you are revealing yourself to everyone else, and that's why it's called the kisei hakavod. Because the kisei of how Hashem reveals himself to us. And kavod represents that gilui of that which can't be seen. So the Kisei HaKavod is how Hashem expresses and reveals himself into this world. Yaakov is ingrained in the Kisei HaKavod because Yaakov represents Kavod. Yaakov represents that Gilui of something which can't be known through a medium so it can be known. The perfect Gilui of the Neshama through the body. The perfect Gilui of Hashem through that medium. Through the lens that we can understand him. And that's why Esav represents the breakdown of Kavod. Because Yaakov and Esav is the cosmic battle between Hashem being connected to the physical world and the theory that Hashem is disconnected from the world. That the Neshama expresses itself through the body, that the body is completely disconnected from any higher source, any Neshama, any spirituality. And that's why Esav represents that breakdown in Kavod. The Hashem is disconnected from the world. The, the body is not connected to any higher source. There's no neshama. There's no, that's why we discussed how Esav represents the breakdown of the head and the body. Disconnecting the head and the body. That's why Esav's head was buried in the Maras HaMachpelah. 
but his body wasn't. That's why we discussed the famous Gemara in Babel Messiah, that both Yaakov and Esav tried to emulate Adam HaRishon, but Esav tried to wear Adam's coat. Meaning just the external will look like Adam, but the internal doesn't have anything higher. But Yaakov emulated Adam's inner essence, and that's why it expressed itself and shined through his face. Why? Because the goal is for the inner to express itself outwards. Not for there to just be an external and not reflect anything higher, but the source and the ichor, the foundation, the root, needs to be inside, the internal, the mind, the neshama, the consciousness, spirituality, and it expresses itself through the physical medium of the body. And that's the real machlokas when it comes to beauty. In Western culture, beauty is simply external. It's physical beauty, external beauty. But deep beauty, real beauty, is when the outer vessel loyally reflects the inner neshama. So it's not bad to have a good-looking external body, but it needs to reflect something higher. Sarah was a reflection of something higher. She had a beautiful body, and that's why the Mishram really wanted her. But she had a beautiful body that reflected her inner essence. And that's why Rashi explains at the end of Parshish Noach that Sarah's other name was Iska. Iska means transparent, to see through, because Sarah's real beauty is that you can see through her body. That's why Iska, the same root of Iska, is sukkah, schach. Because by schach, you have to be able to see through the schach, you have to be able to see the stars. That's why the root of Iska is schach, and that's why the same word is for sukkah, because the main part of the sukkah is the schach. But the real depth of beauty is when the physical reflects the spiritual. Where you have a beautiful internal mind, you have a beautiful midos, you have a beautiful inner self. And then it expresses itself through the external, through the body. And now, we can finally go back to our last question, which is the very strange episode at the beginning of Parshas Todos, where we're told that Yitzchak is the son of Avraham, right before we're introduced to the cosmic battle of Yaakov and Esau, the battle of Kavod, the battle of whether or not Hashem is connected to the physical world. So let's go over the claim of the mockers. The claim of the mockers was that Yitzchak was not the son of Avraham, that Avraham couldn't have children, Sarah could, while Avram and Sarah were together, they couldn't have any children, but when Sarah was with Avimelech, that's when Sarah became pregnant, and that was where Yitzchak came from. And the Minjur says that Yitzchak looked like Avraham, so that people wouldn't be able to make that claim, and that when it says Yitzchak is the son of Avram, that's what it's referring to. Now, our three questions was, what does this have to do with Yaakov and Esav? Why is this told right before Yaakov and Esav are born? Number two, why is this a case of mockery? It should be called the Kofrim, the denarius. They denied the fact that Yitzchak was the son of Avraham. Number three, this was a terrible claim. What do you mean that Avram couldn't have any children and Sarah could? Avram had a child with Hagar, and Sarah didn't have any children until then. So what do you mean that Avram couldn't have any children and it was only once Sarah separated from Avraham that Sarah was able to have a child? It just doesn't make any sense. So it's a terrible claim. But here's the depth. Here's the depth of the idea. This has everything to do with Yaakov and Esav. Because what did the mockers claim? What was their claim? That Yitzchak is disconnected from Avram. That Avram is not the father of Yitzchak, and Yitzchak is not a continuation of Avram. But what is Yaakov? Yaakov is the perfect balance, Tiferes, between Avram and Yitzchak. So Yaakov's very essence is a testimony that Yitzchak is the son of Avram. Because Yaakov is the kavod, the perfect dealer and balance 
of those extremes of Avram Yitzchak. And that's also why this is stated right before Yaakov and Esav are born. Because in order to realize that Yaakov is the perfect balance between Avram and Yitzchak, we need to clarify that Yitzchak is the son of Avram. And that's the very fundamental principle of Chesed, Din, and Teferis, of Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. And Esav is the breakdown of that Gilui. Yaakov is Kavod, he expresses Avram Yitzchak into the world, and Esav breaks down Kavod, tries to disconnect that train, and also tries to disconnect Hashem from the world. And now we can also understand why they're called the Makers and not the Kofrim. Why aren't they called the Kofrim? They deny the fact that Yitzchak is the son of Avram. Because what did they try to do? They tried to break down the connection of Yitzchak to Avram. They tried to break down the connection of Chesed to Din, of Avram to Yitzchak, and break down the disconnecting of higher to lower, the disconnecting of anything meaningful. The disconnecting of Avram and Yitzchak was mockery. That's the very nature of mockery. It's trying to create breakdown, saying that Yitzchak isn't the expression of Avram, saying that Din isn't the expression of Chesed. And that's what we're trying to clarify. And it's not that there's chesed and din, but din is simply the expression and limitation of chesed. But it's not separate, it's not different. And it's not that Yitzchak isn't the son of Avram. And that is what mockery means. To create a breakdown in Kavod, which makes it that there's no proper expression of the truth. Creating an exterior that doesn't reflect a deep spiritual interior. Seeing that there's a Yitzchak that isn't the expression of an Avram. And now we can finally understand the most important point. Remember our last question, that the claim made no sense. They claimed that until Sarah was with Avimelech, they weren't able to have any children, because the problem was with Avram. But Sarah was able to have children, so once she was with Avimelech, therefore finally she was able to have Yitzchak. But it doesn't make any sense, because Avram had a child beforehand with Hagar. So what does it mean that until Sarah was removed from Avram, they weren't able to have a child? The problem was clearly with Sarah. So this seems to be a terrible claim, to claim that the problem was with Avram. So what's the deep idea? The deep idea is that mockery isn't about the truth. Mockery is a breaking down of the truth. It's preventing the truth from having an impact. So the Makars didn't care that what they said made no sense, that it was a completely ridiculous claim. Because the point of mockery is not to make a truthful claim, it's to make a claim that breaks down the truth from having an impact. So while what they said made no sense, that was the point. They wanted people to just say, oh my gosh, maybe Yitzchak isn't the son of Avram. Maybe to break down that transition, that expression of Avram and Yitzchak, and finally the perfect balance of Yaakov. So the Mahakar made a claim which wasn't truthful, but that's the whole point. It doesn't have to be true. It just has to fulfill its purpose, which is to break down the truth and prevent it from having a real impact. So this is the deep idea of mockery. The mockery tries to prevent us from living the lives we're supposed to live. That a life of kavod, where we acknowledge the truth, that we live a life of truth, a life of passion, a life of purpose, where the physical loyally imperfectly reflects the spiritual, where you build yourself, you build your internal world, you learn the truth, you learn Torah, and you use your body to perform mitzvos. You express the spiritual through the physical. That's a life of kavod. Makari, Aslav, Avodazaros, Nus, Arias, all of those are trying to break down proper connection, to break down proper kavod. But our job in life is to live a life of truth, 
where when we get inspired, where we have this revelation of, oh my gosh, this is the life I'm supposed to live, you don't let that second stage of mockery, sarcasm, us. you don't allow that stage to fall in. You control yourself and you say, yes, I'm going to embrace the truth. I'm going to fully accept it. I want to live it. I know it will be difficult, but it'll be so worth it because this is why I'm here. This is my purpose. This is who I'm meant to be. And that should be the question you ask yourself before you go to sleep every night. Am I becoming the person that I'm meant to be?